Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. We're going to put a topical or a slide up here that shows our topic for the morning. Uh, Here's our our title for this morning. It is Finding Hope. I love that picture that Mitchell came up with. (laughs) It just says it all right there. Finding hope in the midst of personal pain and problems. We're going to do a lot of P words, a lot of alliteration this morning. Finding hope in the midst of personal pain and problems. Um, I know this is not a topic that's relevant for anyone in this room (laughs) or anyone joining online today, uh, that none of us are dealing with pain or problems. So this is just one of those ones to kind of take notes on and stick it in your back pocket for a rainy day, just in case someday you experience pain and problems. Um, but actually, on the, on the front end of this, before we jump into the message, I want to pause to, uh, I want to surface an expectation that is held by many Christians, a, an expectation or an assumption. It's, it's actually a worldview, and sometimes this is an assumption or expectation that we hold consciously. We might even be able to articulate it. I think more often than not, and this is when it's most dangerous, is when it's subconscious, when it's not something we realize, uh, but it's something that we hold on to, and therefore, it shapes the way we experience the world as followers of Jesus. Here's why this assumption is important to surface and to challenge, even if it's, if it's an assumption we shouldn't hold, because it can lead to disappointment in our life with Jesus. It can lead to discouragement, despair, depression, all of the D words, okay? And it can even lead to a crisis of faith. So here's the assumption. It goes something like this. Once becoming a Christian, and if I'm living a comparatively obedient life as a Christian, it's always important to acknowledge that it's comparatively obedient because the reality is all of us know we're not doing this thing perfectly, but we t- tend to look around and we look at how other people are doing it. We're like, oh, at least I'm doing it better than he is. I'm doing it better than she is, right? And so we, we think if, if I'm living a comparatively obedient life as a Christian, my earthly, earthly life will go well. I'll be spared from much of the pain and problems that plague our world. Not only that, I'll be blessed with wealth and abundance. Okay? Now, again, we might not articulate that, but oftentimes we live with that as, a, as an assumption or an expectation. Taken to its heretical extreme, that assumption, sometimes what we would call a prosperity gospel, it's used to get people to uh, become followers of Jesus uh, because there's such, well, that's like, who wouldn't want that, right? If I just put my faith in Jesus, if I just invite Jesus into my heart, then everything's going to go well. Well, I, you know, and... And the challenge is that then when that doesn't materialize in someone's life, then they question not just their circumstance, they challenge the gospel. They question the gospel. It's also been used to to, uh, to justify lavish lifestyles of Christian leaders. Now, I don't know if any of you have held that assumption. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But what I will say is here's when it gets surfaced. If, If it's a subconscious 
consistently held assumption or expectation, then when it surfaces, it doesn't surface when things are going well, it surfaces when things are not going well. And we suddenly find ourselves questioning, why is this happening? What's happening? Why is it happening? Sometimes we question God. God, why are you doing this to me? Or why are you allowing this when I, I know you could intervene? And we begin to question oftentimes when we question ourselves, we'll think, is there some sort of unconfessed sin that I haven't dealt with and that's why God is, is doing this to me? Sometimes we'll say this to one another, maybe this is why you're going through this is because you have unconfessed sin. What is it, brother? Sometimes we'll question our, our faith. You know, Jesus made some lavish promises about faith. If you just had a mustard seed, you could pray for this and it'd be gone. Something's wrong with your faith. Something's wrong with my faith, right? There's all kinds of ways that we can challenge this assumption. But the point is, I think it should be challenged. Because here's why. Let me ask you this. Did Jesus ever promise that becoming his follower would shield us from all of the pain of this world? Now think about that. Did Jesus ever promise that if we became his follower, we would be shielded from all of the pain and the problems of this world? Did he ever promise lavish wealth or just comfort and abundance if you just put your faith in him and became his disciple? I want to suggest, no, he didn't. He, he did make, he, absolutely, Jesus made promises about eternal life. And eternal life is, in fact, a quantity of life that begins now and, and stretches into eternity. So it's quantity of life. It's also a quality of life, which means even this side of eternity, we can experience a kind of abundance that we were made for that we don't experience apart from Jesus. Apart from a relationship with our creator, we don't experience the abundance that he made us for. And so Jesus promised that, and he promised that we could begin to experience it now. And, but, he also promised that this side of eternity will be characterized also by pain and problems. Look at what he said in John chapter 16. He said, I, I've told you these things so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Do you hear that, that tension of those two things? He said, I want you to have peace. I don't want you to expect something that's other than what you're going to find or experience. I want you to know that you will have pain, you will have trials and troubles in this world, but take heart. Have peace, find hope with the confidence that I have overcome this world. It won't always be like this. That's the message. Even when you experience pain and problems this side of eternity, it won't always be like this. Consider what Jesus said. And here, here, well, here's what he said. He said, if you expect otherwise in this, if you expect this, when you find it, you can still have peace and hope in the midst of trials and pain and problems. But if you do not expect this, it can lead to a crisis of your faith. Look, look what he said in the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, he said, the seed on the rocky soil, which is, this is the gospel being scattered and different people hearing it and responding to it differently as it hits their heart. The seed that fell on rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. He's talking about a crisis of faith. They don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems. 
or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns, this is another type of soil that's similar. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and by the lure of wealth, that promise of prosperity. And so no fruit is produced. So no, to answer the question, Jesus never promised that, that we would be spared from any sort of pain or problems if we became his followers. In fact, he compared following him in this earthly life. Do you remember what he compared it to? He said, it's like taking up your cross and following me. That imagery of the cross, it's an, that's the imagery of his own execution. And he said, to, for you to follow me, at times it's going to feel just like this. Like you're dying to yourself. Like you're living the same kind of suffering that I experienced in this world. Think about Jesus' first followers. What were their, what did they expect? What were their assumptions? And, and, and what did they experience? If you think about the, the 11 apostles who were left after Jesus' death and resurrection, 10 of the 11 experienced a life a lot like his. In fact, all 11 of them did they actually, in their own way, took up their cross and followed him. They could do that because they had seen, they had witnessed resurrection life. That promise, take heart, you, in this world you will have pain and problems, but take heart, I've overcome the world. They'd seen the, 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 the foreshadowing of that in Jesus. They'd seen someone crucified and restored to resurrected life. And so they could say, okay, then if we follow him and there's this promise that what he got that we'll get, then we can endure this, this life with, with peace and with hope. Think about Paul. Paul was not one of Jesus' first, you know, we think about the 12 apostles. Paul was not one of them. He came a few years later. But he was a follower of Jesus who in fact wrote a good portion of the New Testament. So this is a pretty solid follower of Jesus, Right? And we think about what did, what did he experience? I, I thought this, but prior to, to Paul becoming a follower of Jesus, he had the kind of prestige and influence in his world that had he continued on the trajectory he was on before becoming a follower of Jesus, he would have lived a life of what we would call a life of privilege. Okay? Because of the family he was born into, because of the, 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 uh, the education he received, because of his gender, actually even just because of his personality and temperament, he was on track to, to have a life of privilege, a life of influence. He was, he, like, he was really on a pretty good road. And then he entrusted his life to Jesus. Listen to his description of life after becoming a follower of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 11. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often. That's not a metaphor, that's literal. I've been put in prison more often been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. That's a scourging. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and that's in the non-drug sense of the word. <laughs> like, they literally threw rocks at him till he, they thought he was dead. And they drug his beaten body outside of the city, leaving him for dead. 
Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent the whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers, danger from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I face danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I've worked hard and long. I've endured many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all of this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who's weak without my feeling that weakness? Who's led astray and I do not burn with anger? Paul says, my physical experience of life in this world has been filled with personal pain and problems. My emotional experience of this world, the the care I have for other people that I can't control the circumstances of their life and I carry the burden of wanting what's best for them and knowing they too are in pain. So I feel that and I'm weary. What Paul described in those two paragraphs is not normative for every Christian. Thank God. You know, if if you need perspective today, just read through that list of what Paul's life was like. And sometimes it's just a matter of perspective. Go, okay, I guess what I'm going through isn't quite so bad. (laughs) Thank you, I'm not like Paul. And yet, this is what it looked like for Paul to pick up his cross and follow Jesus. And Paul was able to live that life. That life that I just described, he could live that life with hope because he had something that he looked to that sustained and strengthened him. So here's the question for us today. Basically, the question is, how do we find that hope in the midst of our personal pain and problems? And so to answer that question this week, I did two things. One, I read through the letters that Paul wrote while imprisoned. Okay, Paul wrote uh, several letters that we have in the New Testament. Uh, Some of them he wrote from a prison cell which was a place he didn't want to be. It wasn't because, and it wasn't because he'd committed criminal acts that he deserved to be in prison for. He was in prison because he was a follower of Jesus who was sharing the message of Jesus with other people. And he got incarcerated for that. And so while sitting in prison in a place he didn't want to be, he wrote letters to other churches. Colossians, Philemon, Philippians, Ephesians, 2 Timothy. So basically, I read through those letters and I looked for what were what was Paul's practices, what was his posture, what was his perspective that allowed him to have hope while being in a circumstance that was devastating to him, physically and emotionally. How did he find hope? So that was one thing I did. I did, I did two things. So that was the first thing I did. The second thing is I went and interviewed a modern-day Paul, a woman who spent her adult life traveling the world to tell other people, like Paul had done, She traveled the known world to tell people that God loved them. Here's a photo of her in our interview on Thursday. This is is Esther. I call her Saint Esther. And um, Esther and her traveling companion, Sharon Pryor, who's here today. Where's Sharon? Sharon, raise your hand. Hi, Sharon. Esther and Sharon spent decades, decades of their adult life traveling around the world uh, as, as missionaries, sharing God's love with people who didn't know God, encouraging people who did know God. But here's the thing. Esther's almost 90 now. When, when is her birthday? May 23rd. May 23rd, and she turns 90? Okay, so she's, she's 89 on the cusp of 90. 
And in her own way, she's now a prisoner. She's a prisoner of her body. Her body does not function the way it has in the past when she was younger. She's, uh, she's not able to even get out of bed without assistance from others. In fact, she's not allowed to get out of bed without assistance from others. She can't go to the restroom without help from others. She can't go to mealtime with help of others. So, so she's a prisoner of her own body. And she's, she's a prisoner of her living environment. Not in quite the same way that Paul was, but she's no longer able to live in a home with Sharon where they're just free to have their own environment. She's now living in a care facility. Most recently, she was in an a, uh, assisted living facility, and recently that got upgraded, I think, yesterday to skilled nursing because she needs that level of care. So that's, that's her situation. Missionary who's lived her whole life that way, and now she's in prisoner. And yes, she has hope. So I visited her this week to interview her because a few weeks ago I went to see her and what I experienced in her was hope in the midst of pretty bleak circumstances. So I want to share the practical things that I learned from Paul and from Esther. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. Whether you're here on campus, whether you're here online, I want you to listen. I'm going to share five things. I want you to listen for the one that matters to you, especially if you're in the midst of personal pain and problems. I want you to listen for the one. They, they may not all be relevant for you, but I believe that God's going to speak to you and give you something and say, I want you to, to act on that. I want you to move forward in that thing. So listen for that. And if you're not in the midst of personal pain and problems, would you just take a moment to think about someone that's in your life, in your sphere of relationship, who is, and think about what, what they might need out of this. Maybe that's going to be something for you to share with them. Maybe it's going to be something for you to pray for them. But this world right now is riddled with personal pain and problems. And I believe that God wants to speak to us through his people. So, first of all, Paul had perspective. Number one, perspective. This is what we would, specifically a heavenly perspective or an eternal perspective. Paul deliberately reminded himself of, and he chose. This was a choice to see things this way. He chose an eternal perspective on this life. It was perspective that awakened and nurtured hope in the midst of his personal pain and problems. And this is really important. He charged fellow, fellow Jesus followers to do the same. Okay, that perspective, as I read through those five letters, again, it, this is uh, Philippians, uh, Colossians, Philemon, Ephesians, and 2 Timothy, five letters. I read through them. This sort of worldview just pervades all of them. I tried to find one, a couple places where it was kind of encapsulated. Here's one of them. Philippians 3.17. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, he's, he's pleading for them, that there are many who can, whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. Okay, think of that phrase. Their lives show that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Meaning, they don't want to endure any pain or suffering as a follower of Jesus. They're not following him regardless of what circumstances they experience. Instead, it says, they are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetites. They're ruled by their appetites, which makes them an enemy of the cross. 
They're headed for destruction. The God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we're citizens of heaven. Our true citizenship is in heaven, where the Lord, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Paul says, this is how I live. This is how I live with the weakness of my mortal body, the imprisonment of my mortal body, the the circumstances I don't want, the circumstances I'm praying for for others. Here's how I live. I know that it won't always be like this. And the same power that took the crucified Jesus and and restored him to life and, and actually granted him resurrection life is at work. And it's coming. And it's not always gonna be like this. And he's going, to, he's going to rescue me and he's going to reconcile all of creation. I think some people need to write that reference down, that Philippians 3, 17 through 21, and circle back to it repeatedly. Because, this, because Paul said, you know, I, follow my example. What did he say? How did he phrase that? He said, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your life after mine. Learn from those who follow our example. This is a choice to embrace this sort of worldview. It's not always going to be like this. There's hope. Jesus is, he's he's at work and he's going to finish what he's begun. Some of us need to write that reference down and circle back to it because that hope allowed Paul to live with the uncertainty of what the future looked like for him and to have peace while not knowing the outcome or the resolution of his circumstances. Paul spent multiple, what did he say in that Corinthians passage? He said, I've been in prison multiple times. Sometimes he, he, he had a, a hope of what the outcome was going to be. By the time he writes 2 Timothy during that imprisonment, he's pretty sure that he's not getting out of that one. And yet in the midst of that, he lived with hope. He had peace, not knowing the outcome. Listen to what he said in Philippians 1.20. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ because whether I live or die, for to me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, meaning here on earth. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. You can understand him writing that as a prisoner, right? I long to just be done with this and be out of here. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes... It's better that I continue to live. I heard that same kind of eternal, heavenly perspective in Esther when I interviewed her the other day. We're going to play a second clip here called Perspective. I want you to listen for her perspective. It's, it's encapsulated in multiple sound bites throughout this clip. Getting lots of things. And it's true. I should be where God wants me to be. And if he doesn't want me here anymore, I have been saying, take me, Lord. And if it's only, if it's home, by all means. And if it isn't, give me the grace to learn how to live there too. And so that's been my prayer over and over. If it isn't where we think God should put us, don't tell God. 
trust God. That's helped me so much, saying if this is God's job, I don't even need to look for the place. He said in his word, I will watch over you and I will rescue you. So even if I get in a mess, God's there. And I feel like he's here. And I don't need to hold that grudge at all. Give it away quickly and ask God to bless this place. And I do, because it's a place where missions is needed horribly. We haven't found the way in yet, but we've got her on the edges. And we're just trusting that God will keep bringing the right people and that they'll keep doing the things of the Lord. St. Esther. A couple sound bites I pulled out of there. Take me home or give me the grace to live here too. That's a place of trust. When she, when she said, if you find yourself in a place you don't want to be, don't tell God, trust God. She's, that's not just her words. She's living that out. She's saying, God, you can take me or if you leave me here, give me the grace to walk this out. She said, even if I get in a mess, God's here. You hear her forgiving, for, saying, I'm, I'm, not, I'm choosing not to hold a grudge. I'm choosing instead to trust God. I wonder how many of us need to echo that prayer right now of Esther's. God, take this away or give me the grace to live here. You know, she's not the first one to pray that. It's actually Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. The wording's a little bit different, but the heart of it, the core of it, the exact same. Jesus said, if there's any other way, what I'm about to experience, I don't want to experience. If there's any other way, take this cup from me and not my will, but yours be done. If I have to walk this, would you give me the grace to do it? And in Jesus' life, that's exactly what we see as he, as he walked to the cross. He was strengthened, given the grace and the empowerment to walk a journey he would have rather not walked. By choosing that eternal perspective. So number one, have a perspective that's not just an earthly perspective, but an eternal perspective, a heavenly perspective. And having done that, having, having taken that perspective, Paul actually found purpose in the midst of his circumstances, as did Esther. Purpose. By choosing to trust God with the circumstances God had not taken away, because Paul, make no mistake, Paul was asking to get out of prison. He was praying to get out of prison. He asked others to pray that he would get out of prison. But God, if God chose not to do that, Paul was unable to find unexpected purpose in the midst of his various circumstances. Here's the thing. Paul had envisioned his life playing out very differently. Paul spent most of his adult life after becoming a follower of Jesus taking not just missions trips, but missionary journeys that were measured not by weeks or months, but measured by years. Missionary journeys where he would go into a part of the world where, where people didn't know about Jesus and he would plant new churches and he would uh, reach new people and he would go back and strengthen believers where he'd been before and he would make new disciples. That's how he spent his life. He spent one missionary journey was from 46 to 48 AD. One was from 49 to 52. And one was from 53 to 57. So each one got a little bit longer. 
And when he wrote to the Roman church before he got to Rome, he wrote to them. He hadn't been there yet. And basically he said, I'm planning a fourth missionary journey. I, I can't wait. I'm longing to come see you. I'm longing for us to share with, in faith with one another. I'm longing to plant more churches, make new disciples, encourage believers. And then after I've spent some time with you, I'm going to ask you to send me to another unreached people group, to Spain. I've never been to Spain. As far as I know, the gospel's never been to Spain. I'm, I'm going to go there. That's, that's the vision, the dream he has for his life. And you know where he's writing that from? Whereas we get into these letters, he's, he's imprisoned. I got to think, it's got to feel so unfair to Paul. God, I, I wanted to, to take the gospel to Rome, the, the heart of the known world. I want to take the gospel to Spain, to these unreached people groups. What am I doing rotting here in a prison cell? And then he discovered that the prison itself was a mission field. Listen to what he said in Philippians 1. He's writing from prison. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's talking about being locked up. It served to advance the gospel, not restrict it. So that it has become, the gospel has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul said, this isn't how I expected it to look like, and the gospel's reaching the, the whole, this, this, this battalion of soldiers, all the ones entrusted with guarding me and keeping me locked up. The gospel's reaching them, and other believers are now stepping up into that place, and they're sharing the gospel now. Esther struggled with this recently, too, because, because Sharon went out on her first post-COVID missions trip, hadn't been traveling the world, hadn't been able to go on missions trips, went out on her first trip to Israel a few weeks ago, and that's a trip that in the past they would have done together. They would have planned it together, they would have gone, they would have shared, they're, they're, they're gifted differently, and so there was this wonderful partnership. And this time, Sharon was going out, and Esther was left imprisoned in a, in a room, imprisoned by her body, imprisoned by her living facility. But she too found unexpected purpose in her, in, we'll say, in her incarceration. Here's another clip from Esther. This one's called Purpose. I didn't know so. And so I just had to start somewhere. So I began to give away these little cards to people, starting at my table. What do you mean, cards? Uh, my, uh, do, uh, yes. I, this all bagging of I, it's a big card now. Uh -huh. But every day said something different. And I would say, let's see what God's got in store for us today. So they're little scripture cards, little promises? Mm -hmm. And so I read it to them and they does God say that? So, well, so you're giving these out to yes. residents? We had tables of four, and every morning they wanted at least two. So every morning you're giving have another one? To other residents? <laughs> yes. Oh. I've got now, we've got residents giving them away. And so we've been buying them and having the greatest time with them. And so that was real good. Then I started talking more and more about the Lord, mm -hmm. and they, they just listened. 
and if it was something so obvious, they'd say, you talk like you know him, hmm. and he talks back. I said, lots of times, not always. Not always. Yeah. Why wouldn't he always? Because he figured I should figure out it myself. <laughs> he didn't need to help me with every single thing. Oh. So we began a ministry here. Right here inside the facility. Yes. Yeah. And Do you ever get to to share about God's love with any of your caregivers? Oh yeah. Yeah. These people more and more. <clears throat> Later in our interview, Esther shared how she referenced it there, but she shared again about how her her table mates and other residents are now taking these cards and they're passing them out to other residents and to one another these scripture cards. She's had people walk into her room and, and, and literally say, why does your room feel different than the rest of this facility? She's had people walk in and, and, and talk to her and say things like, Esther, like, it's fine for you, but I don't know how to pray. And so she teaches them. She's coaching people on how to pray in just, like, just very natural ways. Here's the thing. If you've prayed for God to take you out of a circumstance and he hasn't done it yet. Sometimes, sometimes God does. By, by all means, hear me. God does deliver us from our circumstances quite often. And when he doesn't, maybe instead of continuing to, to just push back on the circumstance, the question is, God, what purpose might you have in this? If you haven't taken it away, is there something you want to do in me through this? Or is there something you want to do through me for others? Because, because while Sharon got to go to Israel... Esther got to stay in that facility where she said, I've recognized this is a mission field right here. And I get to share God's love right here. Not in the same way that when I'm traveling and it's still, still God. Sometimes God's doing things in us that, that there's, there's parts of us that need to be shaped to become more like him, that we will never be shaped in that way while everything's good it actually takes pain. It actually takes problems to expose those things and to shape us. So maybe that's the question for you today is, God, if you haven't taken this circumstance away, then what are you trying to do through it? Would you show me your purpose through it? Number three, we need people. We see this in Paul, and not just anybody, it's the right people. Paul knew that he was not an island and he, he deliberately, he very intentionally surrounded himself with people of mutual encouragement. As I read through Paul's prison letters, I was struck by how they're all full of the names of people that he was saying, this person's with me, I'm sending this person here, would you bring this person to me? Like, it's full of people. In fact, one place he says that his heart was refreshed in the midst of his circumstances by other believers. His heart was refreshed. He was encouraged that the purpose of God would carry on through people. So listen to 2 Timothy 4.9. Timothy, this is, this is some of the very last words that Paul wrote on this earth. This is the end of 2 Timothy, which is his final prison letter. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and he's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark 
with you when you come, for he is helpful to me in my ministry. And I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Here's the thing. We need people, but pain can make us isolate and distance ourselves from other people. Sometimes when we're in the midst of pain and problems, we have a temptation out of, uh, out of embarrassment that we isolate from other people or we at least hide what's really going on in our lives. We, we put on the veneer that everything's fine and we smile like that, but it's not all fine. We can do that out of embarrassment. We can do it out of uh, despair or pride or depression. Out of depression, sometimes we just we don't want to share with anybody what's going on. Sometimes it's self-pity. Sometimes it's simply feeling overwhelmed. And here's what I want to say. It takes both humility and courage to reach out to someone else and name the fact that we are struggling and need their support. It takes humility to say, you know what, it's not all fine. I'm actually really struggling right now. Here's what's going on. And to name that with someone that we can trust. In the last two weeks, here's the thing about, we've shared this before, being a, a preacher, a teacher, you get to live out the things that you're about to be sharing. In the last few weeks, I've had multiple conversations where I've been on both sides of this equation. I've had situations where I was going to a trusted friend or, or even to a counselor to say, you know what, I'm not doing well. I'm not in a good place right now. Here's what I'm struggling with. And to name that, which is, is, it's a humbling thing when I'd like to have it all under control. I'd like to be, everything's good. I'm just here to help you. But you know what? I found grace. I found that God gave me grace to make it through my circumstances. Daily manna I would, is what I would call it. He gave me manna for that day. And it was through sharing with somebody else the, the struggles that I was walking through. I've also been the one that reached out to somebody else that I knew needed a, a, a listening ear. It's not that I can fix things for other people, but I found myself in circumstances where I was, was sitting with a trust, where, where I was sitting with someone who, who was themselves in pain and problems. And I just got to be their friend. Either circumstance, it's, it's this sacred ground when you take the time to do that. When you take the time to pause and sit with somebody who's trusted and say, here's what's going on. One of these circumstances the other day, it happened with somebody that I, I hadn't reached out to them deliberately because I knew they were in crisis. We just kind of stumbled into each other. And I was like, hey, how you doing? And it was one of those flippant, like, what's up? Which I expected him to just say, hey, it's good, let's see ya. And he went, oh, you know what? I'm really struggling right now. And it was just like, I just realized, oh, wait, this is a moment. <laughs> and he started to just unpack what was happening in his life. And the reality is, I couldn't fix the, the problems he's facing. I couldn't fix them. But at the end of the conversation, and I didn't even say a word. He just, he just talked. But I was a listening ear, and when he, when he got done, he said, thank you. Actually, just even sharing that feels so much better. And then I said, can I pray for you? He said, please. And I didn't say, I didn't go home and pray for him later or forget to pray for him later. I prayed for him right then. And we just welcomed God's presence into that, those circumstances. Say, God, would you make a way through or would you provide the grace to be here right now? So here's the question. If you're isolating in pain right now, who can you reach out to that you can trust? Who can you reach out to and say, hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Or can we just have a few minutes because I, I just need to talk with somebody? I'm not doing well. 
Who do you need to talk to? Or who needs a listening ear from you? Who, who can you provide that sort of sacred ground with where somebody can, can share? Just don't be like Demas who left Paul in the middle of his crisis because he was in love with the world. We don't need Demas. We don't need people like Job's friends. Job's friends, when, when, when Job unpacked his problems to his friends, they're like, well, maybe you have unconfessed sin. Maybe you don't have enough faith, Job. Don't try and give people pat spiritual answers. Just be with them and pray. Number four, ponder and consume the right things. Paul recognized the importance of what he thought about, read, what kind of media he consumed. He made a conscious choice to dwell on things that nurtured his hope and life with God. These are, these are again, these are the, some of the last words. That, that passage I just read for Timothy, where he says, Timothy, come to me as soon as you can. Here's where that ends. He says, when you come, be sure to bring the coat that I left with Carpus at Troas because he's cold. Also bring my books and especially my papers. He's thinking about what does he need to encourage him? Maybe, maybe those papers include journals that he's written. Maybe it includes the, the things that have encouraged him in the past. Here's, he goes on to say this to the Philippian church. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on whatever is true and honorable Whatever is right and pure and lovely and admirable, think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, and then the God of peace will be with you. Here's my question. If you're in the midst of pain right now, what are you consuming? What are you taking into your body? What are you taking into your mind? Because there's lots of ways that we can deal with pain. We can mask the pain. We can numb the pain. We can do it with chemicals. We can do it with food. We can, we can medicate with shopping, with spending. We, and it's really short-lived, isn't it? Like this retail therapy idea that you go out and you spend money and it makes you feel better. And then like an hour later, you're depressed because you realize your financial situation just got even worse. Okay, what, what, that's, that's a consumption. That's a, something that you're consuming to try and deal with the pain. Are you avoiding the pain by losing yourself in media? Are you binge-watching TV? Or are you doom-scrolling the internet? You know what doom-scrolling is, right? It's when you just, you, you get on something and you just stay there following this increasingly negative, negative, negative. And here's how you pay attention to what you're consuming. Paul said he gave us a list. Here's a filter. Is it true is it honorable? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? So if you just ask the question, in the midst of my pain, I'm doing these things, how's it affecting you? Is it helping? Is it giving you an eternal perspective, a heavenly perspective? Is it awakening hope? Or is it causing you to spiral further? I'd ask you what books you need to read or even reread. Recently, I, I had a, a, a moment where I thought, I just had this nudge. I thought it was God, where it was like I was in a prayer time and somebody said something and I just had this prompt. I need to go back and reread this book that I've been encouraged by in the past. And so at the time, I wasn't home. So when I got home, I looked for the book. I couldn't find it right away. I looked here in my office. Eventually, I found it. I opened it up 
and I looked at the cover, and a lot of times when I write a, read a new book, I'll write the date that I, that I started the book, and maybe somebody, if somebody recommended it to me, who recommended it or why I bought it. And the day that I picked it up and I opened it up, it was 10 years to the day <laughs> since I read it. And I just got this little nudge from God, you need to reread this. And in that 10 years, I'd forgotten a lot of what it said. And I'm, I've been encouraged. It's been like breathing fire on coals to awaken hope in me. Oxygen on coals of hope in me. What verses do you need to circle back? What media inspires you? If you're, if you're binge watching something and it's not actually producing life in you, what media could be life producing for you? And lastly, number five, prayer. Prayer that's extended and prayer that's requested. Every one of Paul's prison letters is permeated with the prayers he was extending and the prayers that he asked them to pray for him. For example, in all five letters, he says something along these lines. I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Here's the thing. Paul, there was a lot of things that were out of Paul's control, but he knew who did control everything. So he prayed about things that he couldn't control. He prayed about other people. And here's part of the byproduct. One is that actually affects change. But secondly, it took his eyes off of himself. All five prison letters where he's, 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 he's in this place he doesn't want to be, his perspective was about other people. And that, that has a way of, it's like an antidote to self-pity and despair. If you're stuck in what you're experiencing is self-pity, despair, depression, think about who else needs prayer. Think about who to pray for. And Paul didn't only offer prayer, he asked for it. By the way, one of the things that Esther found is that when she didn't get to go on the missions trip with Sharon to Israel, she was actually still able to partner with her, but by, by staying and praying. And so when I asked her, what did you do? She said, I prayed for her over and over. I knew what she was going through. I knew the dangers that she would be experiencing. I knew the, the things she was hoping for, so I prayed for her. That's one of the things that kept her from spiraling out. Paul put it this way in Philippians. This is our last slide. Philippians 1.19. I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me, this is, his, this is one of his requests that they would pray for him. Pray for me that the Spirit of Je- and as the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Now, when I first read that, it sounds like he knows, if you pray for me, I'll be delivered from prison. But he's not actually talking about being delivered from prison. He's talking about being delivered from hopelessness and purposelessness. This is what he says. For I fully expect and I hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. This is not Paul saying, I know if you pray for me, I'll get the outcomes I want. He said, I know if you pray for me, God will give me the grace that I will live for him regardless, whether I live or die. For For me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I could do more fruitful work for Christ, so I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I love his honesty in these letters. Prayer awakened in in Paul, trust that God was in control, that his circumstances would work out for God's glory regardless of the actual outcomes of his circumstances. Prayer enabled him to focus on God rather than his circumstances, enabled him to trust instead of fear. And close with one last clip of Esther as she talks about prayer. The context for this one is that she had just gotten treatment for cancer 
and had been miraculously able to pay off her bill, which if you've ever lived as a missionary on support, to have the money to pay off cancer treatment is in fact a miracle in and of itself. But listen to what she would say to us in closing. So I thank God that I had that mild case and we never had the return of it. We just bless people that love the Lord and say to the rest of you, try him. He said himself, you will see. And the Lord's tried us lots of times. And by his grace, we have seen over and over his faithfulness. Try, you guys. Look up at stars. If a God could make them and keep them from crashing, it says they have millions, not hundreds, and he keeps them in line. Don't you think he could take care of you too? Why don't you try him and see? It's enough. That's good. Okay. Esther and Sharon wrote a book about their travels. This is the first one. Um, And last night, Esther signed a bunch of copies. Uh, And so if you don't have one of these, I know some of you are, many of you already have them, but if you don't have one, we have some out in the bookstore and some of them are signed uh, as of last night. So I encourage you to pick those up. Here's where I want to close. Um, if you're here on campus, would you just stand up? Let's, let's take a moment and shake off the weariness of sitting and listening. If you're online, I invite you to just put yourself in a posture of responding. What did you hear today? that you need to act on. If you're in the midst of pain and problems, there's people right here today who can join you in praying for you. We can't guarantee what the outcomes of that prayer will be. We can guarantee that God who is trustworthy can do more than you can even ask or imagine. Maybe there's somebody that you need to follow up with today. There's somebody that you know is in pain and God's just putting it on your heart to reach out to them, to be that listening ear who will listen and pray for somebody else. I'm going to ask you to do this. Right right where you are, I'm not going to ask you to come up front, but right where you are, if you feel like there's something that God is inviting you to to act on today, would you just raise your hand where you are? And um, and we're just going to pray for one another. Raise your hand and, and keep it up. And if you're not raising your hand right now, would you look around and see if there's somebody near you who is? And would you put your hand on their shoulder? If if your hand's up, just keep it up until you have somebody with their their hand on your shoulder. This is just the, the, the church being the church. This is us being the kind of people who can be entrusted with this stuff. We just take a moment to pray with one another. If you feel comfortable sharing what it is that you're praying about, you're welcome to do that. If, if, this, if that's a big unknown and you just need to say, just please pray for me, you can do that as well. 
you're online, you can type your, your prayer into the chat box, whatever, whatever platform you're on. Or you can send a prayer to, to prayer.vineyardvoice.org. And as you just take a moment to pray for one another, if you, if you don't have anybody praying for you, would you put your hand up and make sure that we've got somebody? We've got ministry team that's looking around. They're trying to make sure everybody gets prayer. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to close. We're going to sing a song where we invite God to do what only he can do. Worship team's going to lead us in a song. And you may be praying. If you're not praying, then would you make this a prayer for those who are responding right now? This is our prayer. And all who are thirsty And all who are weak Come to the fountain Dip your heart in the stream of life Let the pain and the sorrow prayers. He didn't just pray them to God, but he actually wrote them and sent them and said, this is what I'm praying for you. And because of that, because he was in prison and wrote those prayers out, those prayers didn't just impact that generation or that 
church he was writing to, they've been written down and have been a source of encouragement for believers throughout church history. Some of the most powerful prayers in scripture were written by Paul while he was in prison in a place he didn't want to be. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close by just reading one of those prayers over us that we have because Paul was able to experience God's hope in the midst of his personal pain and problems. He says, when I think of all this, this is Ephesians 3, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious and unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life that comes from God. Amen. Church, go out today and make the invisible God visible in your homes, in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, in your schools. Find people that are in pain and be God's love to them. And then come back and we'll do it all again next week. Amen. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.